This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation, which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. Welcome back to the Crane's Trade Business Podcast and the Mackinac Policy Conference. I'm Chad Livingood, Senior Editor at Crane's Trade Business. Uh, thank you for continuing to listen to our uh, podcast covering the conference, talking to some of the big newsmakers uh, here at the Grand Hotel. Uh, my next guest is uh, John Recalta Jr. and his daughter, Lauren Recalta. Uh, welcome back to, uh, or welcome, welcome to our podcast today. Well, thank you very much. We're uh, very glad to be here. It's my uh, first time back at Mackinac in a couple, three, four years. And uh, the place is looking spectacular. Yeah, uh, you also were absent uh, from the U.S. for a while um, as the ambassador to the United Arab Emirates. I uh, wanted to talk first about that and just your experience uh, with, with uh, uh, being, a, a, uh, I guess, an employee of the State Department under the Trump administration. Talk a little bit about that. It was, a, quite frankly, a phenomenal experience and one that uh, I wish more Americans really understood. Uh, the role of an ambassador, uh, the legal authority and responsibility that you have is unsurpassed. You are actually the uh, in-country representative for the President of the United States and in many respects have uh, the same authority that he might with a country. And the UAE uh, was right in the middle of a very, very volatile region, happened to be a very, very good ally of the United States and numerous uh, issues, problems uh, that uh, I got an opportunity to sit right there, ringside, participate in, and, um, and made some uh, great progress in terms of peace in the Middle East. What, what, uh, what, was, what was a specific thing that you worked on maybe people would have known about or that made the news so that you were kind of behind the scenes working on at the time? Well, not much but made the news, uh, at least uh, back here. Uh, but. Uh, the biggest thing, of course, was there were two big things. First of all, was the United States' participation in the upcoming uh, World's Fair called Expo Dubai 2020, which will start in about two weeks. Uh, when I got there, we were not participating. We did not have funding for it. And uh, we would have been absent on a world stage that's very, very important in terms of explaining to the world and informing the world about the greatness of our country, our freedoms, our our capitalism, our economy, uh, and all of the cultural aspects that make America one of the greatest countries ever, uh, ever to be. Uh, so that was one. And then the second thing was uh, the Abraham Accords. And of course, the Middle East is this volatile region. Uh, a couple peace accords were uh, found back in uh, the late 90s with Egypt and Jordan, but nothing had happened in 25 years. And so this new uh, normalization between the UAE and Israel sort of launched this Abraham Peace Accords, and now five countries are, are part of this normalization process. And it's a gigantic step to bring peace to the entire region. Yeah. Um, as you uh, lived out this experience as, as an ambassador, what was something you learned about our country uh, that you just didn't know from all your, um, I'm not sure how old you are, but 60-some years of, of uh, on Earth. Well, thank you. <laughs> I won't answer that question. Uh, plead the fifth. But in terms of your question directly, I really saw two things. Number one, America, in spite of all of the negative aspects you hear back in the United States about how we're perceived on the world stage, 
Uh, we are admired, revered, and everybody wants to be like America. Uh, and so that was a surprise. I had gone out there somewhat thinking that uh, I'd receive a lot of criticism. The second thing that I saw uh, that was the talent that was in the State Department, especially my embassy. The people, uh, the workers, are just phenomenal. Uh, their vision, their hard work, their commitment to our country. Uh, I didn't see the deep swamp anywhere in my embassy. In fact, I was so impressed with my direct nine reports that I would say that I'd hire any one of them if they ever left the State Department. That's how talented they were. The problem that we have has to do with the system within the State Department. It was designed in the 50s uh, during a period where uh, communications were much slower. You had months, if not years, to make decisions on things. The world doesn't operate that today. And uh, all of these really wonderful people, these wonderful U.S. employees, are, are unable to use their um, their innovation, uh, their ideas, to take a little bit of risk because the system is designed uh, to be slow, and uh, we need to change that. We're talking with John Ricolta and his daughter, Lauren Ricolta. Lauren, uh, you are the CEO of uh, DFM Solutions, a warehousing uh, business. That's, uh, I, I understand the history of it. It was so, sort of a spinoff from, from, uh, from Wallbridge. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, that is accurate, and um, we're actually in the facilities maintenance and production equipment maintenance business, mostly in heavy industrial environments um, such as aviation and automotive. So what's what's uh, that seems like a, an industry that's been kind of booming in, in the last few years, or at least before the pandemic, and I guess I would gather that it's, it's gaining some steam. Tell us a little bit about kind of how your business is going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, COVID, uh, unfortunately, was a hardship on many, many families and people here. Um, I was, I happened to be the beneficiary of, you know, all that COVID cleaning inside these existing um, manufacturing facilities. And so, of course, our scope increased, um, spend increased, kind of heightened alert and awareness around um, COVID and this virus was, you know, the hot topic of the day. And so... You became the germ police in factories. Absolutely. Yeah. And we helped de develop those emergency response systems for our customers, um, it included everything from frequency of cleaning door handles to uh, thermal scanning uh, employees before entering into our suppliers or I'm sorry, our customers' facilities. Now, John, you're you're back as chairman of of Wallbridge, right? And and your and uh, um, yeah, your son Jr. is the president of the company now, and uh, Mike Holler is still the CEO. Uh, talk about a little bit about you know, sort of the state of your business right now in the construction, particularly that heavy industry. Side. Yeah, we are we are very, very fortunate to be, as we say, uh, participating in the second industrial revolution uh, today. Uh, the electrification of the auto industry is full bore. Uh, we have more work than probably we can handle, but uh, we love it. Uh, and there's also other industries that are expanding greatly that we are uh, big players in uh, data storage for companies like Microsoft and Amazon Web Services, uh, a smart, intelligent warehousing. All of these areas are capturing an enormous amount of capital, and we're the beneficiary of building all of these new facilities. Uh, we're also going through a transition uh, from uh, what I would say um, a second generation to third generation, and J Lauren and JR are, are doing a really a fantastic job and uh, relieving me of my day-to-day -day responsibilities, although I do keep a, a firm hand on the, on the overall guidance of the company. 
Uh, you know, also technology today uh, and the opportunity to, uh, to implement technology across the wide range of, uh, of, our, um, uh, of our services is really quite exciting and bringing enormous productivity that I think you're starting to see why we can continue to grow this economy with less people. Uh, and that brings us to, uh, you know, Michigan and how we're going to uh, survive, uh, you know, this revolution that's going on today. This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation, which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. In terms of electrification, uh, what are some of the um, areas that you see that uh, industry hasn't quite caught up with yet, uh, the auto industry, as, as, the, as, the, as the automakers themselves are pushing forward, particularly Ford and GM? Um, what's the, the, is the larger industry keeping up uh, pace? I, yeah, I, well, to a certain degree they are, but I mean, I think there are two fundamental big issues that need to be resolved. One is charging on a national basis. Are we going to have a network capable of charging cars? You know, there's something like 180,000 filling stations around the country. There's only a couple thousand a charging station, and that prevents people from going long distances. So I think that that charging network is a very, very big issue that needs to be solved. And the other one is battery capacity. And, uh, you know, what's going to be the limit that we can ultimately reach and how fast can we get to it? I think those are the two things that need to catch up. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of bets being placed right now that those solutions are on the horizon and that we're going to be able, as a country, uh, commit the kind of capital that we need in order to develop that infrastructure. What did you learn in the UAE about construction? Uh, I learned that in the United States, the subdivision of work is what's caused and allowed our country to become one of the most productive countries in the world. Uh, if you look at my business, we have subcontractor after subcontractor, tier one, tier two, tier three, yeah. tier four. And that subdivision work allows for all of this innovation to come very, very quickly. Uh, secondly, our industry here is very, very competitive. Our margins are small, our risks are high. Uh, when you go overseas, you find out that big conglomerates uh, basically run, uh, run, run the industries there and they're not quite as competitive as we are. Uh, and then finally, I would say that uh, the, the introduction of technology and innovation into the construction industry, uh, there's no place. Maybe, maybe there's one competitor, and that's Japan, uh, and perhaps China now, too. But uh, the amount of innovation that's coming into our business today is just breathtaking uh, and staggering. Lauren, in the, uh, in the facilities upkeep business, like what uh, type of innovation is happening there that's uh, helping either automate some of the processes? So obviously, I imagine you've, you've, you've experienced some of the, of the crimp on labor uh, during the pandemic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In regards to technology, there's a, as my dad has mentioned, there's a brand new horizon um, in regards to automation. IoT, um, software and cloud-based um, applications that really can monitor um, equipment down to the millisecond, um, which is extremely helpful in productivity and efficiency, obviously. And then in regards to the labor market, um, you know, we're all feeling the crimp on that. My customers are, I am, my suppliers are. It is a chain effect that is uh, creating a massive toll on all industries, quite frankly. Johnny, any thoughts about what, what we do from a public policy standpoint on, on labor and, and trying to get more people back into the workforce? 
We've come quite a ways. I mean, the, the skilled labor workforce today, uh, the number of trade unions that have apprentice programs and uh, uh, the, the ability to enter those uh, programs are widespread and have made a lot, a lot of progress. On the negative side, I see that uh, we have not, our education policy here in the state of Michigan is nearing a crisis mode. And, you know, I've always had this opinion that in order to really get the kind of change that we need, you have to have a big crisis. And the crisis hasn't risen to uh, that kind of proportion yet, although it's there. Uh, we're going to be two, 300,000 new jobs short uh, in the next four or five years. And I think we can take a lesson out of uh, you know, what we did with uh, Detroit Public Schools three or four years ago. Uh, when I look back, I'm, I'm proud of the success that we kept in business, and they've made really great progress, incremental progress, but great progress over the last three or four years. But the bottom line is, is that this the whole state needs to get reformed right now. And Business Leaders for Michigan has this launch Michigan uh, agenda that they're trying to push forward. But we haven't gotten to that critical mass. And I wonder what will it take to galvanize the public. Uh, right now we're 39th in uh, eighth grade reading in the, in the country. We're 33rd in fourth grade math. I might have those mixed up. But I mean, we are in the bottom quartile. And, Today, it's a learning uh, environment that has to be top-notch. Um, and without those kind of skills, uh, businesses aren't going to come here. They're going to go to the states where they can hire uh, and, uh, and, and put to work the kind of skilled labor uh, that they need. And uh, this is what worries me a lot, that we just don't have that, uh, that crisis. And you know, I've been racking my brain is how do you create that crisis to galvanize uh, liberals, uh, conservatives, uh, you know, suburbanites, uh, urbanites, uh, rural. How do we pull all together that we can make Michigan one of the top ten states? And we are a long, long ways from there. And um, I mean, is it even doable uh, given the current politics? Uh... Well, this is the problem. I mean, you know, a leader has to emerge uh, that can withstand the attacks from the far left and the far right and do what's right. Uh, for our state, what's right for all of the citizens, and you know, to return us to this hope uh, that we can be a top 10 state again. Because if we don't, uh, these good-paying jobs are going to slowly evaporate. You know, as these electric car plants are being built, I mean, that's one marker that you can take a look at. Where are they being built? Uh, Walbridge today has three new electric car company customers: Rivian, um, uh, Lucid, and Nikola. Not one of them even gave a thought of building their plant here in Michigan. And we'll see what Chrysler, or I should say Stellantis, General Motors, and Ford does in the future because these things are coming and they're coming rapidly. And if we lose these kind of assembly plants, uh, we've lost a really, really big part uh, of, our, of our heritage and our uh, opportunity to have really good paying jobs. Well, all three of those companies, are, they're, they're the most recent plants they've built have, have remained in Michigan, but that's been largely because they have existing sites to retool and such and 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 there's a little bit of you know heritage and pride you can tell in some of the decision making but you're saying that that, that may not be the case in the future well if they're going to implement or introduce new new electric car plants they're not going to be in what we would call internal combustion uh, plants and so where are those new plants going to go? I'm not looking out five or ten years. I'm looking out 25 and 50 years because once you make that kind of investment, billions and billions of dollars, it takes a long time for that investment to work itself 
uh, out. And, uh, you know, these opportunities uh, are, are here right now. I mean, the industry is going through this today. And uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, we've all got to come together. You know, eight years ago, I was here talking about cohesion. You know, we're, no, we're, we're worse off today than we were eight years ago as a society. If you look at the, um, at the various uh, groups that need to come together, Democrats, Republicans, blacks, whites, uh, business, labor, uh, ur uh, urban, rural, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see that cohesion today the way it needs to be. Yeah. Um, John Recalza and Lauren Recalza, we really appreciate you uh, joining us here on the Koreans podcast at the Mackinac Policy Conference. Thank you for having us. I'm Chad Good, Senior Editor at Koreans Detroit Business. Thank you for listening to our continuing coverage of the Mackinac Policy Conference. This podcast is sponsored by the Joyce Foundation, which invests in public policies to advance racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region.